All right. Did you bring your Bibles today? Baby got book? Did your baby got book? How y'all doing today? Hey, I'm Pastor Kevin. Glad you're here. Good to see you. You look wonderful. How do you feel? Feel good? Even if you don't feel good, you believe you're good? And what you believe is more important how you feel. Because we're not feelers, we're believers, right? All right, tell your neighbor, say, you, you feel great. <laughs> you know, one prophet said to the other, he said, you're great, how am I? Okay. All right, so quick review. Um, I'm Pastor Kevin. For those of you who don't, um, don't know who I am, I'm the pastor here. They have let me do this now for over 16 years. So if you don't believe in miracles... Now maybe you will, so I know, right? I'm just as surprised as you are. <laughs> I want to welcome everybody watching us online today, especially all of our Facebook Live audience. We have a great big uh, congregation that watches us on there from India, Mississippi, and various parts of, of the world. And we're welcoming you and all of you over in the Overflow Room, as well as those watching us on our website. So just want to welcome all of our e-members. Glad that you're worshiping with us. And um, man, I'm so excited about this series, BYOB, Bring Your Own Bible. If you haven't been here, let me passionately and ardently plead with you to go back to the archive and watch these messages. If you're a YouTuber, subscribe to our Harvest Church Mobile YouTube channel. All of our messages are there. But go back and even if you were here, go back and review. I believe it'll be a great blessing to you. Last week, we talked about how that God's word is life. It's light. If If you're in a dark place, you need a flashlight. God's word is medicine. It'll cure what ails you. God's word is wisdom. God's word is Jesus. It's everything that you need. In fact, we had a Michael Jordan Sunday last Sunday. 23 people made Jesus the Lord of their life. I don't know about you, but that's what I get excited about. Man, that we know of, 23 people. That's awesome. So So just keep bringing people. Keep bringing them, keep inviting them. We did a little chemistry experiment last week. We had a beaker, a couple of beakers up here, and we said that you can have God's Word in your life, and it still not benefit you. So we had God's Word in a beaker, and we put some trash in there, and how many of you can have God's Word still have crap happen? Don't look at me so holy. You know what I'm talking about. But then we had just a little bit of something else in another beaker, and we just put a little dab in there, and it represented faith. God's Word won't do you any good unless you mix faith with it. And when we mixed faith, there was an explosion, there was an eruption, and it pushed all the trash out. You can have all all the power in the world potentially in your life, but until you mix faith with God's Word, it won't do you any good. So I'm here today in these last few weeks to get you fired up about reading your Bible. Making God's word a part of your diet because you are what you eat, right? So I want you to consume God's word. We have a Bible reading plan. Go to our Harvest Church Mobile app. Download the app on your phone and read with us. A chapter a day will keep the devil away. So if, you, if you're not sure, then you say, well, I want something more interesting. Read, read Proverbs, the book of wisdom. A proverb a day will keep the stupids away. So if you're just tired of being stupid, read Proverbs. It'll help you out a lot. I speak from experience on that. So, all right. So, quick review. We've been asking the question, why the Bible and not some other book from some other religion? Why the Bible and not some other system of thought? Um, Why absolute truth and not relativism? Why, or how do we know that the Bible is reliable, that it hasn't been changed over the last centuries by men to manipulate us to do what they want us to do? 
changed by the church, changed by popes and bishops and preachers. How do we know that it's reliable? We've talked about that thoroughly over the last three weeks. And if you want the answer to those questions, again, please go to our YouTube channel, subscribe, or go to our website and click on the Watch tab and review those messages. We answer those questions thoroughly. And if you have questions, please email them in to us. I was going to talk today about 11 things the Bible reveals or teaches us before science figured it out. Uh, but I felt led to go in a different direction. So if you want those 11 things, and I'll talk about two or three of them here today, but, but if you want those 11 things, let us know on the connection card, and I'll email them to you. Or you can, if you have the, the app, the, the uh, connection card is digitally on the app as well. Or you can, if you're watching us online, you can email us at office at harvestmobile.com. And we will email those 11 things that the Bible teaches us before science figured it out. In fact, the Bible taught it thousands of years before science figured it out. If you want to know what those things are, shoot me an email or put it on the connection card. I also have a bonus study guide. If you want to dig a little deeper, <clears throat> I wrote an, a, really kind of an, an essay about why we should memorize the Bible, meditate on the Bible, read the Bible, study the Bible. And if you want that little study guide, also write that on the connection card or send us an email. And if you act now, we'll throw in some Ginsu knives for our apps. I'm just kidding. So, but if you want some of this bonus material, let us know. I want to equip you. You can do your whole Bible study this next coming week on these things that I send you, okay? All right. I just got too much material and not enough time. Next Sunday, we're going to probably bring this series to a conclusion. But I don't know about you, but I have enjoyed this. It has been my favorite series of the year so far, except for maybe in January when we talked about breakthroughs of the Bible. All right. So today, the title of the message is... The origin of evil. The origin of evil. Have you ever wondered where it all started? Or have you ever wondered, how did evil get into my own life? How did evil get into my marriage or to, into my money or into my kids or into, my, you know, or into our, our nation? We're going to talk about it today. But we're going to start with our text, which has been John chapter 17 and verse 17, where Jesus is praying to God. For you and for me. And he says, Lord, Father, sanctify them. Set them apart with your truth. How many of God's truth sets us apart? And then he says a very amazing statement. He says, thy word is truth. It makes me think of the passage in Psalms that says, your word is forever settled in heaven. If you want your life to be settled, then get God's word in your life because his word is settled. All right, that was free. Now, when I was in Bible college, my spiritual grandfather, Dr. Kenneth E. Hagan, he taught for a whole week on that one little phrase, thy word is truth. It was amazing. Now, Genesis chapter 3, we're going to read a long passage here, so I'm going to invite you to turn there. Genesis 3, and this is going to be a familiar passage, but it's, it's intriguing. Every time I read it, I get something I think new out of it. But we're going to read verses 1 through 15. Genesis 3, this was the book of beginnings. The entire Bible is contained in the book of Genesis in seed form. Now, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And the serpent said to the woman, Hath God said, or did God really say, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit 
of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. How many know we have no record of God saying you shouldn't touch it? He just said don't eat it. Did you know that's what religion does? It adds to what God says. And that's dangerous. When you add to what God says, you get something God didn't say. Food for thought. (laughs) No pun intended. Now, then the devil responded and said, you will not surely die. In other words, he said, God's a liar. He's he's holding out on you. He's not telling you the whole truth. And that's what secularism tells us today. For God knows that in the day that you eat of this particular tree, and by the way, God said you can have every, eat of every tree in the whole garden, but this one tree in the midst of the garden, don't eat of it. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God never wanted us to know evil. I think it represents, could also represent, it's a great metaphor for the tithe. God says, yeah, you can take 90% of your money. Spend it, save it, invest it, do what you want to do, but this 10%, set it apart for me. Now, so that's not a, a, a true apples to apples, again, no pun intended, kind of illustration, but, um, but there is a blessing that's available to the tither that's not available to the non-tither. Say, so, are you saying, I like what one preacher said, I'd rather have a, my 90%, my 90% blessed will go a lot further than your 100% that's cursed. Now, I'm not saying that if you don't tithe, you're cursed, because that's not ex- what this message is about at all today, But there is, because we're under the dispensation of grace. But there is a principle uh, that you can look at that, where, where if you do what God says, there's a blessing in it for you. And that's the whole point of the message today. When we do what the Bible says, when we do what God says, there's a blessing. But the devil is always there to lie to you, to say, if you, if you do it another way, there's a better way than, than God's way. God says be married to one woman for the rest of your life, but that's not enough. That could never satisfy you. You need to have multiple women. Now, because that sounds more fun, right? But let me just tell you what happens. That I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but, but actually the only way you can be satisfied is with one woman. When you have more than one, you're not satisfied. Okay, I'll come back to that in a minute. I can tell you're not sure, but I'll come back. You will not surely die, for God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. That was the big deception because they were already like God. If you, if you eat this fruit, you'll be happy. Guess what? They were already happy. Look at your neighbor and say, you're already happy. You'll be like God, knowing good from evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, desirable to make one wise, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I want everybody to think I'm smart. She took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. I know there's a difference between naked and naked. Naked is when you're getting out of the shower and you're drying off. Naked is when you ain't got no clothes on and you get caught. (laughs) So they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. That, I think this is the first religion that the world ever saw. I call it fig leafology. They tried to cover up their own sin. That's what religion does. It tries to cover your own sin. It's man's efforts to get to God. But real Christianity, not the cheap knockoff version, but the genuine article of Christianity is not man's efforts to get to God. It's God's efforts to rescue man. 
totally different. It's not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus has done for you. That's why it's called good news. Because guess what? You can't do enough for yourself. So God said, I'll do it for you. And he sent his son, Jesus. God so loved the world. That's you. He gave his only son. And that's what the, God, that's what the scripture is all about. So they tried to cover up their own sin. And then it says, verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking. I don't know what that sounded like, but they heard it. They heard him walking in the garden in the cool of the day, in the spirit is what the cool of the day means. So they could no longer see God, but they could hear him. They lost their ability to see. They used to could see in the natural and in the supernatural. But when they ate, their eyes were open to the natural. They could see themselves, but they couldn't see in the spirit anymore. But they heard God coming, they just couldn't see him. And when they heard him coming in the spirit, they hid themselves from God. That's what sin will make you do. It'll make you hide from the very one that can heal you. Hide from your healer. Your Bible will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from your Bible. As the old preachers used to say. So they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Adam, where are you? How many when God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because you don't know the answer. Adam didn't know where he was. He was lost. Adam, where are you? He had an existential crisis. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I, heard my, and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman that you gave me. Basically, he says, it's your fault, God. You gave me this woman, and she gave me the fruit. She ate us out of house and home. And then he said to the woman, woman, what is this that you've done? And she said, the devil made me do it. The serpent deceived me. She knew in that moment that she had been deceived. She had been tricked. The devil made me do it. And I ate. And the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle. I mean, you don't think of serpents as cattle. But the serpents, I think, used to be different. I think they used to have arms and legs and even beautiful colored scales and maybe even wings. And they could fly. I don't know. But they were like cattle. But this is what God said. Because you've done this, you'll be cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. And on your belly you will go and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Something physiologically changed. They became reptiles. Crawl on your belly like a reptile. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he will crush your head, but you will bruise his heel. In other words, you'll get over, he'll get over a bruise. You'll, you'll inflict pain upon him, but you'll never get over what he's going to do to you. And Jesus, exact, you know, heads represent authority. Jesus crushed the authority, the head of Satan. So Satan has no authority. This is what he does have, though. He has deception. Pardon me. Drinking problem. <laughs> Satan has no power except what you give him. He has no authority except what you give him. Because you're the one who has all the authority. That's why the Bible says, give no place to the enemy, to the devil. The only place he can have, he doesn't even have enough power to take a place in your life the only way he can get a place in your life is if you give it to him. 
Because his head, his authority has been annihilated, has been crushed. So, the first recorded words of Satan in all of human history are, Did God really say that? Hath God said? He called God a liar. And how many of Satan and evil people, they usually accuse others of being the very thing that they are themselves? That's why if you're getting privileged information, now look, did you know that oh so-and-so, don't tell anybody else this, but did you know that they, if they will gossip to you, they will gossip what? About you. Don't think you're special because they're telling you. They're just teeing you up. You're next. So this is what Satan said. Did God really say that? You know what? How about you just decide for yourself what's right and wrong, what's good and evil? And Satan introduced what we call today relativism. The doctrine that truth and morality exist in relation to culture, in relation to the society that you live in, historical context, that there is no absolute truth, that we decide for ourselves what's right and what's wrong. Because after all, we are the Lord of our own lives, and we should know best for ourselves what's good and evil and what's right and wrong. Right or wrong? It's kind of like... The guy who said, can't believe you're drinking milk? Don't you know that that's just a secretion from a cow? But, so, but the cow also urinates. That's a secretion. But you have to have enough sense to know what's meant for nourishment and what's meant for garbage. I digress, but let me keep moving. Satan invited Adam and Eve to believe that God's a liar... And to decide for themselves what's right and wrong. So here you go. If you're taking notes today, this is what I want you to write down. Doubting or disbelieving God's word is the origin of evil. Now Satan, he was not tempted. Lucifer was not tempted. He just decided in and of himself to rebel against God. That's why his sin is without forgiveness. But we're tempted. And we're, we've all been tempted. Being tempted is not wrong. And you can't necessarily control what you're tempted by, but you can control your response to the temptation. <clears throat> Here's a quote from my favorite apologist, Ravi Zacharias, who's a born-again, spirit-filled Indian brother. He said, wickedness is the natural outworking of believing a lie. Judges chapter 17, verse 6 says it this way, that Every man, there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Let me tell you what happens when everybody does what's right in their own eyes. In 1831, and then again in 1854, this is historical fact, tens of thousands of people in England died from a great cholera outbreak. And had they <clears throat> listened to the scripture and did what the Bible said, they would have been spared the evil of cholera. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 12 through 14, it gives instructions on how to handle human waste. It says, and even tells you, to go outside the camp to a designated place and take an implement with you, is what the biblical word is. In other words, take a shovel. And when you get done taking care of your business, bury your business. Cover it up. And then it goes on to say, it's because the Lord God walks in the midst of your camp. And it goes on to say, if God's walking in your midst, we don't want him stepping in your stuff. Isn't that gross? 
But in 1831, they were taking their chamber pots, and when it would get full, they would just, on the second or third floor where they lived, they'd open the window and they'd chuck it out into the streets. And tens of thousands of people died. Had they just done what the Bible said, tens of thousands of people would have lived and not died. So when you ignore Scripture, you do so to your own peril. In other words, when you ignore Scripture, evil enters in. Leviticus chapter 13 and verse 46 teaches us to quarantine sick people as to not spread disease. Modern medicine did not figure this out until the late 17th century. In 1845... A doctor in Vienna noticed that one out of five women were dying in childbirth. So it bothered him. So he began to observe and try to figure out what was going on. And then he stumbled across Leviticus 15, 13 that teaches to wash your hands under running water. So these doctors, they would be examining a cadaver. They would dip their hands in a bowl of still water. And then they would go and assist in a live birth. And one out of five women were dying. They didn't know about the spread of germs and disease. So the doctor said, let's try. He mandated that everyone in the hospital wash their hands under running water. And it went from 20% of the women dying to only 2% dying. Why? Because they observed the Bible and the scripture. Because when you ignore scripture, evil comes in. Leviticus 17.11 says, the life of the flesh is in the blood. So, 1,500 years before Christ, the Bible taught us that you can, if you knew how to examine a small portion of someone's blood, you could evaluate the health of their flesh. So when you go to the doctor today and they take blood, they check your liver, they check your blood cell counts, right? They check all kinds of stuff. Just by looking at a little bit of your blood. Because the life of your flesh is in your blood. In 1799, President George Washington came down with a severe cold. So the do his doctors began to implement the, the accepted medical practices of the day. And they began to bloodlet or bleed him. And on December the 14th, 1799, having lost almost 40% of his blood, he died but not of a cold, of the bloodletting. Now, today, in modern medicine, we know, like the Bible teaches, that when someone is ill, they need blood given to them, not taken from them. But the Bible taught this 3,000 years before modern medicine began to implement and practice it. But these, these ancient Jewish people knew these things how could they know these things? They weren't modern doctors and they weren't modern environmental engineers. How do they know this? There must have been a divine intelligence telling them these things. And he did. And he put it in his word. But when you ignore his word, you ignore life and you open the door to death. When we depart from scripture, evil abounds. Whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your money, whether it's in our economy, in our government in our educational system, in our health, when we ignore God's word, evil abounds. We've ignored God's word in our educational systems, and now we have more school shootings and promiscuity and drug use and abuse in our educational system 
and teachers sleeping with students. Just the list goes on. Why? Because we've kicked God out and we've kicked his word out and we're teaching relativism. Well, what's right for you may not be right for me. Here's what you get when every man does what's right in his own eyes. You either get Hitler or Hugh Hefner. And neither of them value life, valued life. We see the outworkings of this again in Genesis 6, verse 5, where God said, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Does that sound familiar? The Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Not long after that, God sent the flood. And eight righteous were saved in the ark, Noah and his family. In the 90s, Ted Turner, which his name probably rings a bell, said this. Christianity had a couple of thousand years to fix our world, but our world is in, worse, in a worse mess now than it has ever been. G.K. Chesterton said this. The problem with Christianity is not that it has been tried and found wanting, but that it has been found difficult and therefore left untried. Doubting God's word is the origin of evil in the earth. Doubting God's word is the origin of evil in your own life. Let me say it to you this way. Any area of your life that's afflicted, that's messed up, that's not working, you can probably find where it is off kilter and not in alignment with the word of God. So, when each man does what's right in his own eyes, you get the genocide that we saw in Africa in the late, mid, late 90s. When every man does what's right in his own eyes, you know, for, you know, then you get sexual predators, child molesters. And you get Jeffrey Dahmers who cannibalize their victims when every man does what's right in his own eyes. See, that doesn't work. There is absolute truth. And the only way that you can walk in the blessing and live an abundant life is when you live according to absolute truth. So, every thought that comes into your head, there's a spirit behind that thought. There's a, thought, there's a spirit behind every thought. Whether it's an evil spirit, the Holy Spirit, your own spirit, or somebody else, their spirit suggesting a thought to you, behind every thought there's a spirit. Now, behind every spirit is either motivated by fear or motivated by love. And that's why Paul taught us in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, 10, 4, good buddy. That's how you remember that one. That the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or natural, but as Christ followers, we have spiritual weapons. And these weapons can be used to tear down strongholds, thoughts, and imaginations. Because every thought has a spirit behind it. And it's either motivated by fear or love. Perfect love does what? It casts out all fear. Here's, just a, here's, a, here's an idea. I was thinking about this the other day. You know when Jesus walked on the water? Maybe he could walk on the water because he was walking in perfect love. And he didn't hold any grudge against anybody. Because how many when you're holding a grudge, you're weighed down and you sink? And maybe he was just so light, he could walk on the water. I don't know, just a thought. I don't know. Just think about that. So if you're sinking in life, maybe you need to have some love thoughts and get rid of some fear thoughts. So Satan came to Adam and Eve and convinced them that God was a liar 
And they should decide for themselves between right and wrong. Then we see the second Adam, also known as Jesus. Satan thought, okay, it worked for the first Adam. Let me see if I can do it again on the second Adam. And he came and he tempted Jesus with every temptation known to man. And how did Jesus combat that and come out victorious? He said, it is written. And now that's not all you have to say is it is written. You have to know what's written. If you don't know what's written, it's kind of like pulling out a handle with no sword on it. But the word of God is the sword of the spirit. But, you, but, but how many know if you don't know what the Bible says, you got a handle, but you don't have a sword. So you, you can't just say, well, it is written. Well, what's written? Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So it's not enough just to have a Bible. It's got to be in you. That's why we did the little science experiment last week. You can have the Word of God in your life, but until you mix faith with it and believe it, its power does not manifest itself and make itself available in your life. Anybody get anything out of this today? So let this be your strategy, the same that it was Jesus' strategy. Not if, but when the devil comes to tempt you, you got to know what's written. The Bible becomes a weapon when you speak it out of your mouth. Believe it in your heart and speak it out of your mouth. To sell a lie, you have to silence the truth. And that's exactly, and we're going to close with looking at two kings in the book of 2 Kings. Two different kings. The first one is Manasseh. 1 Kings chapter 21. The wicked king Manasseh ignored. The Bible even says that, that there, was, there was never a more evil king than Manasseh. And it tells us, tells us specifically how and why he became so evil. It says this. He ignored the law of God. He ignored the word of God. There was so much wickedness, idolatry, fornication. This is what it came to. That even the king himself sacrificed his own children to the demonic god Molech. See, when you decide what's right and wrong for yourself instead of consulting God's word, your children pay the price. There was, this is what Molech was this eight to ten foot statue made out of bronze and it was hollowed out with a hole in the back and they would build a fire and they'd get that fire so hot that, that that idol would begin to glow red hot. And then they would take their little children and they would toss them into the red-hot glowing hands of this demonic god and, and they would sizzle to death. And they would dance and party and play music so loudly to drown out the screams of these innocent children. And that was their worship to this false god. That was them deciding what was right for themselves. Say, well, what does that have to do with us today in our modern time? Because we're doing the exact same thing. Amen. There's so much noise that we're not even hearing the screams of the children. What children are you talking about? I'm talking about the millions that we abort every year. We, so when you decide what's right in your own eyes, then, it, then you can decide to murder innocent children. Whether, whether they're nine months, whether they're partial birth. Say, so are you getting political now? I'm not getting political. I'm getting biblical. I don't care who you vote for or what party, but I'm telling you what the Bible says. I've heard so much in the news the last few days about, well, the women's reproductive rights. All right? Let me tell you about women's reproductive rights. You have the right to keep your panties on. And, fellas, you have the right to keep it zipped. 
That's your reproductive right. Amen, Pastor. That's good preaching. I know. So I don't like that. I don't care. I'm not going to come to your church anymore. Bye, Felicia. Because we're going to live according to this. And you can decide what's right for yourself, but here's what's going to happen. Your kids, whether literally or metaphorically, will end up in the hands of Molech sizzling to death. And you will be the one who put them there because you ignored this. Because you decided what was right for yourself. Let me tell you, if you had the ability to do that, then God would have never had to send his son Jesus. Well, if we're going to do what the Bible says, then should we stone homosexuals? No, of course not. We're not under the law, we're under grace. Because let me tell you what else the law says. The law says that if you're caught sleeping with your neighbor's wife or woman that you're not married to, fellas, you should also be stoned to death. So it's not about heterosexuality or homosexuality. It's about what God said is best for us. Let me tell you a story about a man who was on trial in Atlanta not very long ago. And he was an infamous pornographer. And his pornography was so vile that it made Playboy look like nothing, although it is something. And his clever judge got up in front of the jury and said, have any of you ever paid money to go to an art museum? Sure, someone raised their hand. In that art museum, were there any of the classic masters in their art? Well, sure, of course. Well, then you paid money to see the figures of disrobed human beings, what makes that art and what makes this pornography? It's clever, isn't it? I mean, the, the devil's not dumb. He's been around a while. I wish somebody would have asked the lawyer, how many men have raped or lost their families because they went to an art museum too often? I don't think there's any cases on file of that. But how many have abused children sexually, abused women sexually, and have ruined families because of pornography? Millions. Here, by the way, let me just, a little insight. This is what pornography does. It desensitizes you. It tells you that you can't be satisfied with one woman that you need multiple women. Or you can't be satisfied with one man, you need multiple men. But in the end, guess what it leads to? Dissatisfaction with every woman and with every man. You'll, 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 you'll be perpetually dissatisfied, frustrated. Can't. I'm going to testify today. I'm going to tell you something good that God's done in my life. I got one woman, and she satisfies me. PK, that's TMI. <laughs> no, some of you need it because I'm telling you, you are deceived to think, well, uh, one woman could never satisfy me. Let me just tell you this. Multiple women could never satisfy you because you're not satisfied. The only thing that satisfies is when you do the word. Well, I tried that and it didn't work. Mm-mm. It tried you and you didn't work. You think that my wife and I have never had an opportunity to be unfaithful, or you think that we've never had an opportunity to get a divorce? We've had plenty of opportunities. We just didn't take any of them. You don't look for a way out. You look for a way through. And you know what that brings? 
abundant life. Abundant life. We have abundant life. I'm sexually satisfied, one woman. I'm emotionally satisfied, one woman. She's satisfied? Why? Doing it God's way. God didn't say, I don't want men sleeping with men, and I don't want men sleeping with multiple women because he's trying, not to, to, trying for you not to have a good time. He's like, no, no, I found, I, I invented the way that it works best, and I want you to do it that way because I love you, and I want you to have what's best. Let this be your strategy too. Then there came a second king, and we're going to close with this. And by the way, this is 2 Kings chapter 22. This is my favorite story in the whole Bible. If I had to pick one, this is it. You ready? Josiah, this was Manasseh's grandson, by the way. He was eight years old when he became king. I just love the idea of an eight-year-old being king. Free ice cream for everybody. (laughs) My sister has to go to the dungeon. I can't imagine what an eight-year-old will do. But anyway, he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in all the ways of his father David, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah, so he was a millennial, that the king sent the scribe to the house of the Lord. I'm going to put this in my own words. He says, here's some money. The temple, because of the previous king, the temple is in disarray. It's fallen apart and needs to be renovated. Here's some money. Here's some offerings from the people. Take this money and go renovate the house of God. Off he went. And as they're renovating, I'm making new curtains and sweeping. And The Bible says that, that they found under the altar, I guess it had fallen and got kicked under there, they found an old book. So here's this guy and he's like, huh, I wonder what, I wonder what this is. <laughs> oh, man, dusty old book. Look at Wait a minute. Hey, check this out. And the king's advisor goes, I, I, need to, I need to take this to the king. He needs to see this. And he takes this book to the king. And he goes, hey, king, just a quick little update. The renovation project is going good. The DIY is just looking good, man. We got some new curtains coming in, a new floor, and we've dusted the place. And we found this old book kicked up under the altar. And I think you might need to hear what's in here. The Bible says that they read the book aloud to the king, and when the king heard the words of the book, that he stood up from his throne, he tore his robes, and he repented to God and dealt with his own sin. It goes on to say he got up from dealing with his own sin, and he went out into society, and he goes, hey, everybody, we're going to live according to this book. Now, guess what book it was? It was the book of the law of God. We're going to live according to this book now. And some people says we don't want to. We want to keep having sex in the temple with these false gods, and we want to keep doing all. And he goes, all right, you either live according to this book, or I'm going to kill you. Pretty effective evangelism strategy. I don't think we should do it today, but that's what he did. And in fact, there were people who refused to live according to the truth, and he executed them. And the Bible goes on to say, he went through, this man, he was, he was the king, but he was a wimp. But something in this book caused him to be a warrior. He was a mouse and he became a man. It so revolutionized him, the Bible goes on to record that he, no king ever, ever turned their heart to God. But their whole heart in the history of Israel, 
No king ever turned their heart to the Lord like Josiah. Not even David. There was something about this book that revolutionized his life. And here's what I want you to know. It'll revolutionize your life too. The first thing Josiah did when he heard the words of the book, he dealt with his own sin. Say, Pastor, I've got addictions in my life. I've got lies I've believed. I've been hurt. I've been betrayed. I couldn't pick a good man if he walked in with a red hat on. I've been in and out of so many relationships. I'm so vile. I've yielded to so many temptations. There's so many strongholds in my life. I battle depression, darkness. I've been divorced so many times. I've, I've got disease in my body. Just go down the list. Let me tell you what happens when your lies come in contact with God's truth. just that fast but you've got to embrace it I know some of you today you're looking at me like a dog in a new pan you're not sure if what you're hearing is something that you want to apply but your heart knows what you're hearing is the truth and you've got a decision to make you might be watching this online you didn't tune in by accident the Lord orchestrated the steps of a righteous man or so are the finger clicks you're right where you're supposed to be hearing what you need to hear Let me tell you what else was in that book before we go. And that's why it's my favorite story. Not only did Josiah hear the law of God, they unveiled a 300-year-old prophecy. 300 years before Josiah was ever born, there was a wicked king who was introducing idolatry to Israel. And as as he was about to make the first sacrifice to the false gods, God sent a prophet. And he said, but wait, hold on just a second. Before you introduce idolatry to my people, I got a prophetic word from God. Thus saith the Lord, there will be a child who's born one day. His name's going to be Josiah. He will turn to God with all of his heart. And he will, on this very altar to the false gods, he will dig up the bones of you false prophets and he'll burn your bones on this prophet, on this altar. He will, he will kill those who, will, who refuse to live according to the book of the law. So 300 years before it happens, I'm prophesying there's a kid coming named Josiah. And when they stood up and they read that prophetic word that was 300 years old to Josiah, he stood up and he realized there's something more than just the truth in the book. His very name was in the book. And the reason that's my favorite story is because I believe that Josiah represents millennials and Gen Z today. That they are the Josiah generation. And they're going to so get it, come under conviction of God's word that we're going to see the greatest outpouring of God's spirit that planet earth has ever seen because a generation is going to get a hold of this book and this book is going to get a hold of a generation and we're going to see revival, we're going to see revolution, we're going to see breakthrough, we're going to see the greatest incoming of souls in the kingdom of God that history has ever witnessed before. Because a generation is going to stand up and they're going to rip their garments, so to speak, and they're going to deal with their own sin in the presence of God. And then they're going to come out and they're going to be prophetic voices that deal with the sin of a nation. They're going to deal with the sin of the world. And you mark my words. I plan on staying alive long enough to see it happen. And today, you're here today, or you're watching today, and you have an opportunity to come in contact with the truth And what does the truth do? It makes you free. And whom the sun sets free is free indeed.
Or you can hold on to those lies. You can hold them all the way to your grave. And you can either believe God's word now, or you can wake up in eternity and you can face him eye to eye. You'll believe him then, but it'll be too late to do you any good. So today, I want you to know that when you read God's word, God's word reads you. Josiah had to make a decision what his relationship with the word was going to be like. Today, I'm inviting you, excuse me, to make the same decision. What's your relationship with the word going to be? You're going to decide what's right for yourself? Or are you going to read the book? How can that ancient book apply to my modern life? It's not an ancient book. It's an eternal book. It came from outside of time. And that's how it applies to every culture of every time. Every people group of every time. It's God's word. The whole, the whole Bible, it's about one thing. What do you think it's about? Jesus. That's always the right answer at church. Jesus. The Bible's about Jesus, God's son, getting a bride. And that bride is supposed to be me and you. Where are you going to be on the wedding day? Don't be, a, don't be a bridesmaid on that day. Be the bride. I want to pray for you. Would you bow your heads today? And I implore you, if you're not right with God, if you're not right with the word, if you've not yielded to God's absolute truth, which is love everlasting, Jesus, who loves you so much. If you've never made him first place, I want to invite you today to join me in praying the prayer of salvation. If you say, Pastor Kevin, that's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up front or anything like that. But if you say, Pastor, please include me in that prayer, would you raise your hand right now and let me see who you are? Come on. God bless you. One, two. Three, four, five, six. Anybody else want to join these, these six, seven people? God bless you. Maybe you're watching us online. Eight, God bless you. If you're not right with God today, you're receiving a divine appointment right now. Don't harden your heart. Be like Josiah and stand up and say, I might not understand it all, but I submit to it. If you're watching us online, you can pray right where you are. Harvest Church, let's join these eight people that raised their hand that said they want to start a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. Come on, let's say it together. Pray it with me, guys. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I repent of my sin. I forsake my life, and I accept your life. Jesus died for my sin. They buried him. But on the third day, you raised him from the dead. And I say, Jesus... From this day forward, you are my Lord. I am yours. You are mine. Fill me with your spirit. Give me power to live this new life. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a party going on in heaven right now for those eight people. Can we join that party? Come on, somebody. Yeah. Amen. Keep, keep bringing people to church. Keep inviting people. And let's keep... Making party, making heaven party. I like that. Amen. Amen.